Hello, welcome to The Wired Podcast. I am your host, Ryan McCrary. Today, I want to talk about something huge happening in college football, and that is conference realignment. I want to talk about why that's taking place and the possible effects of that. After that, I want to talk about Jalen Brown's new Supermax contract. I want to discuss why he got it in the first place, whether or not he's actually worth a contract that size, and what this means for the Boston Celtics as they are trying to win a championship. And then to close out the podcast, I want to talk about the Jonathan Taylor situation. He's going head-to-head with Jim Ursay, who is the Colts' owner, trying to get a contract extension. So I want to break down that situation and give my thoughts on it. That's all I have on tap for today. Uh, This may be a shorter episode, but I, I do think it's going to be a good one still. So I hope you all enjoy, and let's get into it. Let's get started by talking about something that is taking over college football at the moment, and that is conference realignment. So if you don't know what that is, a lot of teams in college football over the last year, and really over the past week, have decided to leave their conference, and this is really affecting the Pac-12 specifically. Uh, About a year ago, or I guess in the last year, we saw USC and UCLA decide to leave the Pac-12 to join the Big Ten, and over the last week, we've seen a handful of teams leave the Pac-12 to join a number of conferences. Um, Why that's happening, I'll get into, and I want to read an article, or a little bit of an article from AthlonSports.com, which kind of breaks down the, which kind of breaks down the conversation, my apologies, so let's go ahead and read that. So it says, quote, College football's conference landscape was already shifting thanks to a few moves prior to the 23 season, but another round of off-season realignment and expansion is set to drastically change things in time for 2024. The future of the Pac-12 is unknown. After USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington, Utah, Arizona, and Arizona State in Colorado opted to leave the conference, The Big 12 welcomed back the Buffaloes, which is Colorado, and added the Wildcats, which is Washington. Or actually, that's, sorry, excuse me, that is Arizona. The Sun Devils, Arizona State, and the Utes, which is Utah, uh, to become the next 16-team conference. Florida State is also putting pressure on the ACC to increase its revenue distributions to keep pace with the Big 10 and SEC. So that's basically a, a good description of what has been happening over the last year and the last week. Um, a lot of teams from the Pac-12 have decided to leave the conference to go to other conferences. And you might be wondering, why is this happening? And the last sentence of this paragraph explains why this is taking place. I'll reread it. It says, quote, uh, Florida State is also putting pressure on the ACC to increase its revenue distributions to keep pace with the Big Ten and SEC. So the main reason why this is happening is because of TV deals. Teams want more money from their TV deals, and so they are leaving conferences to get more money. Um, the the Pac-12 has tried to get a new TV deal done for a while. They haven't been able to get that done, and because of that, teams within their conference want to leave to go to another conference where they know they can get more money from the TV deal that the network has agreed to. That's why this is all taking place. That was a big question that I had when this was all going down. I was like, okay, wait, why is this happening? 
Why are teams able to leave their conference? And why do they want to leave in the first place? And the answer is, they want more money. That's really what this all comes down to. People who are running these teams, the athletic directors, the, the decision makers for each team, they want more money. And they want more money from their TV deals. And so they, they are leaving to go to other conferences which will be able to give them more money from their TV deals. That's why this is happening. Um, and honestly, this is pretty sad uh, for a few reasons. Um, it's really a weird time for college football. The sport has traditionally been quite regional. You know, the Pac-12 has traditionally been on the West Coast. The SEC has been in the South. Uh, the ACC has been on the East Coast. The Big Ten has been in, I guess, the Northeast kind of, um, and the Big 12 has been in the Midwest, and that's kind of coming to an end now. Uh, what has been historically a regional sport is now not going to be regional, and I think this is kind of a sad time for college football because it looks like the Pac-12 is not going to exist for much longer. Right now, the Pac-12 has four teams um, that are going to be a part of the conference long term, um, and not all the teams are going to be leaving immediately. I think the Pac-12 is going to stay intact for the 2023 season. But after that, it looks like the Pac-12 is on life support at the moment. And I would not be surprised to see the Pac-12 kind of die um, sometime soon. That, that looks like where we're headed um, at the moment. And that's really sad. And it's not going to stop there. It's not just going to stop with the Pac-12. It sounds like the ACC may die as well. Um, I read earlier uh, in the Athlon Sports article that Florida State is putting pressure on the ACC to give them more money. Um, so, you know, it's possible that the ACC uh, may come crumbling down as well. Um, and that would leave, you know, three Power Five conferences standing, the Big 12, the Big 10, and the SEC. And so we're headed to, to a time where there's just going to be three mega conferences in the FBS um, rather than five. And that will change the landscape. It's going to change the, uh, the playoff. You know, there was a new 12-team playoff format agreed to a few months ago. Um, and the people that had created that are now rethinking that, um, and they're going to have meetings about that. So the, the newly constructed playoff format, which was going to come into effect in a few years, uh, that's going to change at some point uh, now that conferences are realigning and now that a few conferences are probably going to die out soon. Um, and like I said, I think this is kind of sad in some ways, especially if you're like a traditional college football fan. Uh, and you've been watching for a while, and you love, you know, the regional aspect of the sport, or the traditional rivalries, some of those might come to an end because of conference realignment. And, and I think that that is sad. Uh, but I also think there are some cool things that could come out of this. I think that there could be some more parity within conferences, um, and there won't, be there won't be really strong conferences and really weak conferences. I think at the moment, the Pac-12 is one of the weaker conferences, and the Big 12, the Big 10, and the SEC are really strong conferences, and the SEC specifically, um, and really the Big 10, both of those conferences have historically 
been really, really strong conferences, especially in the 2000s and the 2010s and the early 2020s. Um, and I think that's a problem that will be fixed a little bit by conference realignment. Um, but I think there are a lot of other, a lot more sad things um, and a lot more sad effects that are going to come from this a lot more than, you know, good effects. So I think um, this is a really weird time for college football. Um, I don't really know what to make of this. And I think eventually you'll see a large group of teams that will leave the FAS to create their own league with their own playoff and their own championship. I think that is kind of inevitable at this point. I think you're going to see a lot of group of five teams kind of distance themselves from the FES to create their own league, um, kind of like what the FCS has. I, th- I think that we're going to have another version of that with, made up of group of five teams and maybe even some group of, a group of um, you know, even some power five teams may be interested in that. Um, so we'll see, but yeah. This is kind of sad. The Pac-12 is dying. So if you're a fan of the Pac-12, I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm an Auburn fan. And so I'm a fan of the SEC. So I I have like very little investment um, in the Pac-12. So this is not affecting me really. So for anyone who is uh, being impacted by this, I'm sorry. This sucks. It really does. Um, And it'll be really interesting to see where this goes. Because this is just, like I said, I've said this a few times uh, so far, this is just a really weird time in college football. Um, and, and and it's really, the college football landscape is changing. And it's changing forever. Um, and what we once knew, um, or college football as we once knew, um, is changing. And it's not going to be like that anymore. So it'll be really interesting to see how all this works out. But it's, it's different. And it's kind of sad in some ways. But yeah, that, that's basically the whole situation. Why conference realignment is happening and what the possible effects are. Now we can move on and talk about Jalen Brown and his new Supermax contract extension. This is huge news. I'm a bit late on this, uh, I admit it. Uh, but I did want to talk about it on the podcast at some point. So about a week ago, maybe even over a week ago, Jalen Brown signed a five-year, $304 million contract extension with the Boston Celtics. And this makes him the highest paid player in NBA history. It is a huge deal. And the reason why he was able to get this contract is because he was na- he made the All-NBA second team this season. Um, and because he made an All-NBA team, he became eligible for a Supermax extension. Um, and the Celtics ended up giving it to him. And so now, he is the highest paid player um, in the league. And that may sound crazy, and it kind of is, but um, in, a, in a few years, this contract will look a lot better as some of the game's biggest stars sign their mega deals, like Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, and Jason Tatum. All of those players are going to be signing even bigger contracts in the coming years, so this deal will, will look better at some point, but still, it's a big contract, and honestly, I don't love it. I kind of hate the contract. I'm going to be honest. I hate to be blunt, and I hate to sound like a jerk, 
But I don't love the contract. Um, and I honestly don't think that he is worth a contract this big. But before I get too negative, let's talk about everything that Jalen Brown does well. Because I think he is a really good player. Um, and I think he does a, a lot of things at a very high level. Starting out with the scoring. I think that Jalen Brown is legitimately one of the best scorers in the NBA. Last season, he averaged around 26 points per game on, I think, above league average efficiency. Um, he was one of the only players in the league. He was like one of 13 players in the NBA to average 25 points per game on 55% shooting from two-point range and 30% shooting from three-point range, as well as, I think, 75% shooting from the free-throw line. Um, and he was one of, I think, four players to do that while being 26 years old or younger. Um, so he's a super gifted scorer, um, especially considering his age. Um, he's also He also provides some value as a passer. He had an assist rate of 16% last season, and he didn't turn, turn the ball over much at all. His turnover rate was around 12%, I believe, off the top of my head. Um, so he's not an elite passer, but... I think that he is a decent passer, especially considering his load, his usage, um, and his scoring volume. He could definitely be a better passer, uh, but he does provide some some value as a passer. Um, and he's also a really good shooter. I think that we've seen, um, looking at, at his track record as a three-point shooter, it's pretty good. Um, there have been times throughout his career where he's been a really high-level shooter. He wasn't last year because he was taking more off-the-dribble threes. When you look at, you know, the percentage of his shots that were assisted, they went down. Um, so he was taking more threes off the dribble, and that affected his three-point percentage. It was around 33%, I believe, um, which is a little bit low, uh, but there's a reason why. He was taking harder shots. His shot diet was more difficult. So it's easy to see why his efficiency or his effectiveness from behind the arc went down a little bit. That's why. Uh, but yeah, he's a really good scorer, a really good shooter, and he's also a solid defender. Now, I don't think he's a great defender by any means, and I do think he has some clear weaknesses on that end of the floor. But still, he is an above-average defender. Um, not an elite defender, but not a bad one. Um, and, and I think he is a clear positive on the end of the floor when you look at impact metrics. Um, but there are some major, major issues with this game. For starters, he's not a great ball handler or passer. Now, I don't think he is an awful passer. It's not like he has an assist rate below 10%. But his passing is nowhere near what you would expect uh, from a superstar. And he's being paid like a superstar at the moment. Um, but when you look at some of the best players in the NBA, you look at Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, Kevin Durant, Luka Doncic, Stephen Curry, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid. Like, those guys are all pretty good passers. Even, even guys like Jason Tatum and Joel Embiid, who are some of the worst passers of that group, they still produce assist rates around 20%, over 20%. And, and Jalen Brown is a good bit away from that. And you look at how he plays in the playoffs, his ball handling is a severe issue. He doesn't have a tight handle. He can't really dribble with his left hand. And that is a significant problem. 
and it means that, in my opinion, he cannot be the number one option on a high-level playoff team. He is a number two at best, and I think he is best served, uh, best served as the third option on a playoff team, or a really good playoff team. Like, I think uh, in the best-case scenario, he would be the Celtics' third-best player. And I think, for most people, uh, or most people believe he is their second-best player. Honestly, I think there's an argument. I think you could argue that Derek White um, either is better or was better than him last season. I know that may seem like a hot take, but look at the numbers. Look at the production. Look at the impact metrics. Look at the on-off numbers. There, there is a case. I'm not saying that he was. I'm just saying that there is an argument. Um, there is a case to be made that Derek White was possibly better than Jalen Brown last season. Um, even though that may sound ridiculous, I think there is a case. Um, but yeah, Jalen Brown, really good offensive player, really good scorer specifically, and a really good shooter. I think there are also he also has issues defensively. I think his off-ball defense is really worrisome. Um, I think there are too many times where he his reaction time on the end of the floor um, as a off-ball defender, as a team defender, is really slow. Um, I think he's out of position too often. I think he gets blown by too often on closeouts. I think he gives up wide open shots too often. Um, those are some issues that I've seen from him watching his tape. Um, so yeah, you got a guy who's a really good scorer and a really good shooter, uh, but is not does not pass the ball at a high level, cannot dribble the ball at a high level, um, and is not an elite defender and has some major weaknesses. Uh, in terms of defending off the ball, those are some severe weaknesses for a guy who just, you know, signed the contract, which makes him the highest paid player in the NBA. Those are reasons why I'm lower on Jalen Brown than the consensus, and those are the reasons why I think he is not worth this contract. Now, what does this mean for the Celtics moving forward? Obviously, they're one of the best teams in the NBA, and they're trying to win a championship. So, how does this contract affect that and affect them as they try to reach their goal of winning a title. I think it hurts them long term. Um, and I think their team is really good. They were one of the best, they were, sorry, they were the best team in the league last year in the regular season. And they were one of the better teams we've seen um, in the modern NBA. They, they were a phenomenal team last year. They have great depth. They have some really good talent on their team and Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Derek White. Um, those guys are incredible. And during the offseason, they added Chris Daps uh, Porzingis. They traded uh, Marcus Smart to get him. So they have a really good team. Um, and they have some nice depth. Now, I don't think their depth is, like, insane. Um, I think their wing depth is a little bit questionable. Um, and their point guard depth is is you know, could be a little bit better. But overall, their depth is pretty good. Um, so I think they're going to be as good, if not better, than they were last year. Um, and But I do, have, I do have some concerns with them in terms of, you know, them being able to make a deep run and win the title. And my biggest issue with them is I don't love their, their high-end talent. Um, and I don't love Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown as the number one and number two options on a high-level playoff team at the moment. 
I really like Jason Tatum. I think he is a really good player with a high ceiling. I think he is a phenomenal scorer. I think he can be one of the better scorers in the league someday. Um, I think he has improved a lot as a playmaker, as a passer. I think his defense, um, while, while it's not great, while it's not elite, I think it's good. Um, I don't think it's terrible. And I think that is a really nice profile. And if he can become like a really strong passer, someone um, who produces some really high level playmaking seasons, I think he can be like in the in the in the conversation for best player in the league someday. Like I think that highly of him. I think he is a great scorer, a great shooter, um, someone who can be one of the better playmakers in the league if his passing develops. I think that when you watch when you watch his tape, there are plays where the where there are like where you make some high level passes, some high level skip passes, um, and I want to see him develop as a passer. I think that will take him from being a top ten player to a clear top five player in the league. Um, but at the moment, his passing isn't quite elite, um, and he and he does need to develop in that to develop in that area to become a clear number one option on a high-level team. And with Jalen Brown, I like him, and I like his skill set, but I don't love it, and I don't think he is, you know, the best number two option in the league. I like him. Like, I, I don't know how many more times I can say that I do like Jalen Brown, uh, but I think that he has some some serious issues that, you know, make him not not suited to be the number two option on a high-level playoff team. Um, and if these guys don't grow and develop quickly, I think the Celtics are going to have a hard time winning a championship anytime soon. Um, and with Jalen Brown signed to a huge extension, I think that's going to hurt their depth at some point. Um, I think uh, they're going to lose some of their depth. I think they're going to lose some of their front court front court depth specifically. Uh, their front court depth is really good to have Porzingis, Al Horford, Robert Williams, um, and they also have two really good point guards in Derek White um, and Malcolm Brogdon, or guards I should say, if you don't consider them point guards. Um, and I think that some of those guys they may not be able to hold on to long term because of this contract, and because they're going to have to sign Jason Tatum to a long-term deal um, sometime in the near future. So, those are reasons why I don't love the contract, um, and why I think it puts uh, the Celtics in a difficult spot, because I think it hurts them long-term. Um, and at some point, they're going to have to make some difficult some difficult decisions with their roster, um, in terms of you know their roster construction. And I don't think they would have to do that if they would have traded Jalen Brown um, a year or two ago, like when Kevin Durant was available, um, when the Nets decided to trade him, or when, you know, Damian Lillard is available at the moment. Like, I would have traded Jalen Brown for Damian Lillard. And some people may think that's a crazy take. I really don't. Like, I think, I think Damian Lillard is a phenomenal player, one of the better players in the league one of the best offensive players in the league, and I think he would have been awesome on the Celtics team. And with Damian Lillard on this roster, I think the Celtics 
would be one of the clear favorites to win a title and would have had a good shot to do it. Like, that team would have been fantastic. Maybe I'm too high on Damian Lillard. Um, and I, I would accept that. Maybe I am, but that's I'm just really high on Damian Lillard. Um, and I think the Celtics are making a mistake giving Jalen Brown a huge contract rather than um, trading him uh, when they had the chance to or even letting him walk. Um, I think that that would have been a better decision than signing him to a big contract. Some people, you know, may think that is asinine to say, but I don't. I think that, you know, paying Jalen Jalen Brown uh, just because he's on your team and you don't want to lose him for nothing, I think that is just the sunk cost fallacy. You've already, you have him on your roster, you've already had him for so many years, you don't want to lose him for nothing, so you give him a big deal. And I think that is a mistake, and I think it's going to hurt the Celtics uh, moving forward. If it doesn't, I will gladly say I'm wrong. Gladly. Um, but I do worry that this is going to hurt the Celtics um, in terms of their ability to win a championship moving forward. Um, but yeah, those are my thoughts on the Jalen Brown contract. Um, now let's move on and talk about the Jonathan Taylor situation, um, which has been unreal. And let me get a drink real quick. All right. So let's go ahead and go through the Jonathan Taylor situation. If you don't know what's happening, um, running backs in the NFL are pissed. They're upset because they're not getting paid what they believe they are worth. And Jonathan Taylor is no different. So I'm going to go through this um, this article from CBS Sports, which kind of highlights this situation um, and goes through all the details. So let me, let me find the Jonathan Taylor portion. So I'm going to read this read all the details, it'll break down everything that happened, or everything that's happening at the moment, and then I'll give my thoughts on it. Alright, so let's go ahead and start with the first point. Quote, Taylor wants a new contract. The Colts running back, who's headed into the final year of a rookie deal that will pay him $4.3 million this year, was hoping to get an extension before the start of the 2023 season. As recently as June, Taylor even said he wanted to be a Colt for life. Next, it says, Ursay takes a shot at all running backs. With running backs struggling to get paid over the past few years, Ursay threw fuel on the fire by basically telling them to stop complaining. In a tweet on July 26th, Ursay essentially said that the players negotiated a CBA and that running backs need to just deal with what's happening to them. He also said that agents of running backs are selling in bad faith. Next, it says, uh, Taylor's agent says the relationship can't be fixed. Less than 24 hours after Ursay's tweet, there was talk that maybe the relationship could be fixed, but Taylor's agent, uh, Moki Kawa, threw cold water on that with three simple words. I doubt it. Also, in response to Ursay's bad faith tweet, Kawa had this to say, Bad faith is not paying your top offensive player. Yikes. After that, it says, Taylor and Ursay have a meeting. When you need to hash things out, talking to the other person face-to-face usually helps, but not in this case. After the two guys met on Ursay's bus over the weekend, things actually got worse. Following the meeting, Ursay still was in- insistent that Taylor wouldn't be getting a new deal. Then it says, Taylor demands a trade. Since he can't get a new deal with the Colts, Taylor finally decided to demand a trade, and well, let's just say that didn't go over well with Ursay. Next, 
Ursa has a bizarre response to a trade demand. First, it should be noted that Ursa guaranteed that he won't be trading Jonathan Taylor. He then also added the bizarre quote about how life will go on no matter what happens in this situation. If I die tonight and Jonathan Taylor is out of the league, no one's going to miss us, Urze said, per the Athletic. The, the league goes on. We know that. The National Football League rolls on. It doesn't matter who comes and who goes, and it's a privilege to be a part of it. This tweet was insane. Like, just absolutely insane. Wild tweet on Urze's part. Next, the article says, The Colts threatened to put Taylor on a non-football injury list. According to Colts beat writer Mike Chappell, Andy is now thinking about putting Taylor on the on the NFI list. If that happens and it's justified, then the Colts wouldn't have to pay Taylor a dime this year. It would also make a messy situation even messier. So if you don't know what happened, Jonathan Taylor got hurt working out on his own, according to the cell or, or sorry, according to the Colts. Um, according to them, he suffered a back injury, and because of that, they could possibly not have to pay him this season. Now, Jonathan Taylor has public, publicly denied getting injured. Um, he denied that on Twitter. So it's basically his word versus the Colts. So there's no telling how this will play out. But that's, that's what's happening here. Alright, finally, the article says, Taylor responds to the NFI report. Apparently, Taylor was going to go on the NFI list due to a back injury he suffered while working out on his own during the offseason. I explained that. I guess I didn't have to explain that in the first place. Taylor's response to that, never had back pain, never never reported back pain, um, and there is a new twist in this situation every three hours. So, this is a very messy situation, um, obviously, as you can probably tell. Uh, a lot is happening. Um, both sides are going back and forth. Jonathan Taylor wants a new deal. Jim Mercer is not willing to give it. And this has been a very public situation, and it sucks because... Um, you have both parties being very public about it, um, and you never want to see that during a negotiation. Um, and one part of this that really sucks is that is the fact that the Colts are considering not paying Jonathan Taylor uh, for this season due to an alleged, alleged back injury. And Jim Ursay has talked about um, how well the Colts take care of their players, and then they do something like this, which is just ironic. Um, now, I'm not surprised that the Colts don't want to extend him just yet. And that's not just because, you know, the the popular notion that running backs don't matter. It's not just because of that. It's because Jonathan Taylor was not very good last year. Now, he was awesome two years ago, but he was pretty underwhelming last season. Um, his volume production was good on a per-game basis, like in terms of total rushing yards, total yards from scrimmage. Um, he was very productive in that regard, but his efficiency wasn't great. His, his receiving production was meh. Um, his PFF grade was below 70, which is really low. His yards per carry was outside the top 20. And overall, he just wasn't a very efficient running back. Um, and when you look at his production on a efficiency basis, it was kind of a poo-poo platter. It wasn't very good. Um, and that's despite the fact that the Colts had a decent offensive line. It wasn't great or anything. It was probably around average last year, but it wasn't like the offensive line was bad. So the fact that Jonathan Taylor wasn't efficient is interesting. 
Um, and you wouldn't expect that from somebody who is considered to be one of the better running backs in the NFL. Um, so I'm not really surprised that the Colts don't want to resign Jonathan Taylor. Um, I think there are, are reasons why they would be concerned with giving him a long-term deal after the season that he just had. Um, so I think there are reasons why there are good reasons why they wouldn't want to resign him. But I think the way that they're going about it is questionable, um, especially considering the, the fact that they may not uh, pay him for the season due to this alleged back injury that he suffered. Who knows whether he actually got hurt or not. Um, but the fact that they're considering that um, kind of sucks, especially uh, for Jonathan Taylor. But yeah, this this whole Jonathan Taylor situation is very messy, um, and it's and it sounds like if they do eventually break up, um, and if the Colts do eventually decide uh, to trade Jonathan Taylor, it's gonna be nasty. Um, hopefully, this the the two sides can kind of come to an agreement. Um, and not have such a public and ugly break breakup because no one wants to see that. No one, no one wants to see that. But yeah, that's all I have for today's episode. Um, I hope you all enjoyed it. Thanks for checking this episode out. Um, at some point, I will be previewing the 2023 NBA season, kind of like how me and my friend Thomas did for this upcoming NFL season. I want to do something similar for the upcoming NBA season. Um, and Thomas and I have discussed doing some, doing either a podcast episode or, or a few podcast episodes, uh, kind of discussing the upcoming college football season, um, which actually starts later this month. So that's something uh, to possibly look out for. Uh, but yeah, once again, I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and I will see y'all next time.